So this is the Valentine's Day special, and as Elizabeth said, she that I'm not going to share dating advice tonight. Um, and she also said, um, try to make it better than the final rose ceremony. And I was like, oh my gosh, Elizabeth, right? But um, my husband and I have been here married for 10 years as well, and I'm not going to share that love story either. So what am I going to talk about during this uh, Valentine's Day special? Well, it will be love, and it will be the type of love that will get you out of bed in the mornings. It will be the one that alters what you do with your weekends, how you spend your time in the evenings, what you read, who you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Those, as you may be aware, the famous lines of former Superior General of the Society of Jesus, Pedro Arupe, who wrote a beautiful reflection on love. And it's about a love that is lasting, a love that will change everything, a love that we know as agape. And Arupe ends his reflection by saying, fall in love, stay in love, and it will change everything. And so tonight, I'm going to anchor my talk on these two questions. How do you fall in love, and how do you stay in love? Now, the beauty and the brilliance of Arupe's reflection is that he gives the answer to us in the first few lines, right? He says, there's nothing more practical than finding God, that is, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. In fact, I'd say he answers the question in the first seven words. There's nothing more practical than finding God. Find God. If you want to fall in love and stay in love, you've got to find God. Now, finding God, especially when you're in college, is probably not your highest priority, right? I know it wasn't a priority of mine. Your lives are filled with so many distractions. You're trying to find your way in life, trying to find what you want to do, right, in terms of jobs. Maybe finding where the next party is, although during this time of COVID, right, there are no parties, so we know that's not happening. but. Finding love, um, and also sometimes you're finding, trying to find love on these dating apps, right? That people are sw swiping left and right, which has kind of become a way of trying to find love. But I will say that this kind of can consume you, right? And so finding God is not maybe something that you're taking time to do. And I was in a similar position when I was in college. God was not priority number one, I would say. And while I can say that I may not have been seeking God in college, God was seeking me out, right? God sought me. And God is constantly finding ways to try to form our hearts to draw us near. But in order for us to fall in love and stay in love, I think there are four essential things that we need to be uh, aware of, right? First, we need to be attentive. Secondly, we need to be vulnerable. Third, we need community. Fourth, we need to be adaptable. So tonight, I'm going to share a little bit about my own formation with how I found God in college. And of all places where I can say that I found God, it was on a school bus. That's right, I can happen to say that I fell in love on a school bus. Now, I went to St. Louis University, which, similar to Boston College, is a school sponsored by the Jesuits. And while there, it took me a little bit to declare my major. That second semester, sophomore year, was coming around, and I knew if I didn't declare by sophomore year, I would probably be in college for a few more years, right? More than four years. And it was always kind of curious to me that so many people knew what they wanted to do, 
what they wanted to study and what, the, what they wanted to do oftentimes for the rest of their lives. And I was not in that category. In fact, I was kind of very confused. But there was something that I loved. I knew I loved the outdoors. I knew I loved wilderness. And I loved rocks. And so I decided to major in geology and environmental science. Now, I have two older brothers who um, were more, they knew what they wanted to do, right? They were accountants, and they both went to law school, so they were kind of in that club certainty. And so my mother continuously would ask me, do you know what you want to do with your life? You know, what are you going to major in? And so when I finally decided, I gave her a call up, and I said, Mom, I think I've got it. Geology and what? You're studying geology? Geolo and before I could even say environmental science, she said, what in the world are you going to do with a degree in geology? What kind of job do you think you're going to get? And I will be honest, I didn't know the answer to that. I kind of paused and I thought, huh, I guess I, didn't, I, I just knew I loved rocks and things, right? So I couldn't just kind of only answer that. So you have to know something a little bit about my mother, right? So my mom was a very deeply faith-filled woman. She went to Mass every morning at 6.30 in the morning to Old St. Mary's in downtown Milwaukee. In the evening, she also prayed her little rosary in her prayer chair with her Bible by her side. And if there was going to be a love story that I would talk about tonight, it would probably be that of my mother and father. My mother, who for close to a decade was a religious sister with the little sisters of the poor, and my father was in the seminary studying to be a priest, and they met. But I'm not going to share their love story. What I'm going to say, though, is that faith was so important to them. And they passed that on to the five of us children. Now, I knew my mom well enough such that whenever she would ask me these kind of questions, oftentimes I just needed to repeat back to her what she said to me, right? So I used a little God talk on my mother. And I said, Mom, I have no idea what I'm going to do with a degree in geology. But you've always taught us that God will provide, that God opens doors. And so to trust God, right? And you and dad have trusted God your entire lives, and I'm going to trust God too. And I have no idea what doors will open, but I believe something good will happen from whatever I study if I love it. And she responded by saying, I agree, this is all very true. And she said, no matter what you do with this degree, no matter where it takes you, just be sure that you always remember to be in service to others. Always be in service to others. And we hung up, and I remember thinking to myself, what good can I do with a degree in geology, right? I can't stop an earthquake from happening. I can't stop a volcano from erupting. But it stuck with me. And this is one of those moments when being attentive to the words of a mother, or maybe those just little nuggets of wisdom that someone shares with you is so important. So just pause and think for a minute about those moments when somebody said something that resonated in your heart. Well, this was one of those moments for me. Now, in addition to being very into anything outdoorsy in college, I also loved campus ministry. And so I was very active in service work, Saturday mornings, Salvation Army going to paint or help, you know, after school with children and tutoring them, or when it came to um, spring break or fall break and we had opportunities to do immersion trips, I was like, sign me up. I can go to Mexico and Honduras and help out. I'll be there. So 
the my junior year, I know we have a junior in this room here, right? So when we was I was when my junior year, campus ministry offered a wilderness retreat. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is amazing, right? A weekend camping in the outdoors, a weekend just to enjoy nature. And so I signed up without any expectations other than just to enjoy the outdoors. And it was on this retreat that I met a Jesuit uh, scholastic by the name of Darren. Now, as you may know, Jesuits in their formation, it's kind of like the second phase. They do the novitiate and then they enter into the scholastic period where they often study philosophy and are engaged in campus since Lou had a house, Bellarmine House, where a number of these scholastics lived. And so I had never seen Darren before on campus. And this wilderness retreat was honestly the only time that I saw him. I never saw him after this wilderness retreat either. But Darren changed my life on this retreat with one thing, an invitation. So there must have been something that, about my energy on this retreat and just kind of being on the outdoors that around the campfire one night, he asked me if I had a summer job. And I kind of looked at him rather strangely because I barely knew him and I was like, what is he talking about? Do I have a summer job? And so I said to him, actually, every summer, I usually go back home and work at a nursing home. So I'll probably just head back to the nursing home and do that. And he looked at me strangely and he said, well, where are you from? And I said, Milwaukee. He said, you are not from Milwaukee. I said, are you from Milwaukee? And he's like, no. And I was like, oh. But he said, but this job is perfect for you. And I was like, well, tell me more. So Darren went on to share the story about there's a there's a school on the south side of Milwaukee called Nativity Jesuit Middle School and it's an all-boys school uh, that serves Hispanic families often first-generation immigrant families and the school leaders knew that every moment mattered with these students that it was very important for them to be in school not just during the year but also during the summertime and so during the summer the students would leave their urban environments and head north to a camp in northern Wisconsin for five full weeks, 24-7. And it was an opportunity to keep them learning, right, taking classes in the morning, and then it, their afternoons would be filled with a bunch of different camp experiences, experiences that they may never have had before in their lives. And Darren had worked there the summer before and said, you would be perfect, you would love it. And there was something about the way that Darren shared this with me and was so enthusiastic. I thought, I think I would love it. And so I said, well, what do I, what do I have to do? And he said, well, when we get back, I'll give you Father Bill Johnson's number, a call, and you can give him a call and see if he's looking for counselors. And so I said, all right. So I picked up the phone, gave Father Bill a call, and you could kind of hear the skepticism in his voice. Have you worked with children before? No, I had two younger siblings, but not really in the way that I think they were looking for, right? Um, are you studying education? No. Um, do you speak Spanish? And I was like, a uh, poquito? <laughs> and that must have been enough that he was like, he was very gracious and he said, all right, we'll take you. Come to this school late June and we're going to head north, just pack light, is what he said, pack light. So here, I could have easily gone back to doing what I knew, right? Gone back to my friends in the summer and been working at that nursing home. Or I could be vulnerable, right? I could try something new. And as I said, falling in love requires being vulnerable. It requires trust. Just think for a moment about those times when you've been vulnerable, 
when you've trusted someone, maybe even a complete stranger? And how did this vulnerability, right, stir in your heart? Now, I know you've been waiting for this. Where does this yellow school bus come back in? So here it is, right? So my mother drove me down to 7th and Washington, and in front of the school was this yellow bus. And as we pulled up, students were kind of taking their luggage and their sleeping bags and pillows and putting it in the back of the school bus. And on the Saturday morning, you could just see there was this mix of excitement in the air. Children that had been there, the eighth graders, were excited to go back up to camp for they knew everything that it held. The sixth graders, there was more of this kind of sense of anxiety, uncertainty as to what the next five weeks were going to hold. And for many of the families, this was their first time ever where they would allow for their sons to be away. In the Hispanic community, many families are very close-knit. So even to sleep over at a cousin's house may never have happened. So there was really this deep sense of trust that the parents had in the school, that the parents had in God um, to allow for this experience to happen. And if you've ever witnessed parents say goodbye to their children, it's a very tender moment to think about going away for five weeks is a long time. And so witnessing this deep love that these parents had for their children, I suddenly felt this immense responsibility. And right before everybody boards the bus, Father Bill gathers everybody around, right? And there are probably like 100 people because it's not just parents, it's cousins, it's brothers, sisters, it's grandparents. And Father Bill offers up a blessing, sprinkles everybody with holy water, and the parents are sitting there wiping the holy water off of themselves and putting it onto their sons. Hugs are given, kisses are had on their foreheads, and off they go. And after the, the last student, right, boards the bus, we're off for five hours north to Camp Thunderhead. So as the bus pulls away, these sixth graders are kind of sitting, gazing out the window, looking longingly at their parents with tears in their eyes. And we see a sense of community begin to form. Eighth graders be sit by the sixth graders and begin to take them under their wings, telling them all about how it would be okay that your parents will write you and these five weeks will go super fast. There are eighth graders who then began telling stories, right, of past summers. Porfirio holding on to his soccer cleats, excited about a big soccer tournament called the Thunder Cup and they would be playing this. It was larger in their minds than the World Cup was. And then you had Whopper, right, who didn't get his nickname because of the size of the fish that he caught, but rather because of what his mother had packed into his lunch every day for the first month of sixth grade. He would share with the younger students how they might just catch that Whopper, that big fish, or how they would hold on to that rope as the boat pulled away and learned how to ski or, or water ski or tube and the excitement that came from that experience. And the intrigue began to grow, right, for these students, and the bonds were slowly beginning to be built. And really, the five hours was necessary as it symbolically distanced these students from the homes that they knew. Together, if they were going to survive, literally, and get through the next five weeks together, they had to form these tight bonds. They had to form a real sense of community with the nearest hospital being 30 minutes away, and with there being bears, black bears, and wolves, and deers, and ticks, and leeches, right? It was essential that they were attentive to one another's needs, that they cared for one another, that they looked out for one another, that they loved one another. So love takes community, 
And we have to be open to learning from one another, to relying one on one another, and to relying on God, right? If we want to fall in love. When the five-hour trip came to an end, and we stepped off onto the bus, on, or stepped off the bus onto Camp Thunderhead property, I got the sense that something very sacred happened there. There are these places on Earth that are called thin spaces. A thin space comes from the Celtic tradition, right, and gives meaning to the moments in life where heaven is no longer so far from you, where the present moment obtains so much of God's goodness that you get glimpses of the divine. And this earth, when it becomes wildly thin, we're able to see these things. And in these spaces, we begin to lose our bearings and we find new ones. We might be jolted out of the way of seeing things and into this new world, right? And therein lies the transformative power of a thin space. The moment I stepped off the bus, I stepped onto what felt like to me was a thin space. It was this transformative, something transformative was going to happen. And my mornings would be spent teaching and my afternoons were spent facilitating camp activities. And there was no more amazing place to teach students about science, about rocks, right, than in this outdoor camp setting. We'd take the sixth graders down to the lake and teach them all about the life cycle of a frog. And the challenge was to try to catch a frog or catch a tadpole, as we talked about metamorphosis, and to see how excited middle school boys got about catching a frog as they tried to hold onto it as it wriggled away was simply filled with joy or to walk in the woods on a hike with seventh graders with magnifying glasses, right? And to pick up different leaves and be able to say, can we identify the type of tree that this leaf comes from? And as they were able to determine this based on the characteristics, to look at them and look up in awe at the marvelous maple that it came from. Or to watch a boy for the first time learn how to ride a bike, or to watch them pull away on that tube as the boat pulled off, just filled with laughter, right? In the Gospel of Matthew, we read that Jesus said, the mysteries of the kingdom are hidden from the wise, but revealed to the children. Children see the world through such different eyes. And this camp experience taught me that the smallest among us are so wise, as they help us to understand the largeness of God's love. Here I was, falling in love. And one beautiful ritual of this camp was at the end of each day, we'd gather together in our cabins, which were all named after different Jesuits. There was Marquette, Miguel Pro, Arupe, and Javier. And we'd sit in a circle on the rug and reflect on our day. And the reflection was St. Ignatius's examine. And it was very simple, it was adapted for the middle school, middle school mind, right? And it'd say, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best and one being the worst, how was your day? What good happened today? Where maybe did you fall short? Where did you do something that you shouldn't have? And how can you be better tomorrow? And then together we'd offer up intentions and it was everything for prayers from family members back home to a prayer that a bear wouldn't climb into the cabin in the evening to prayers for frogs, for trees, for shooting stars. It didn't take me long to realize that God was calling me to be a teacher. And there are two, very things, two things that were very important for me. If I was gonna teach, it would be for those for whom education could have a transformative effect, 
right? Horace Mann, a great educational philosopher, writes that education is the great equalizer, and the motto of Nativity Schools is to break the cycle of poverty through education. That was the type of school that I knew I wanted to teach at. And secondly, my faith was so ingrained in me. You could say it was part of my DNA, where I couldn't simply be in awe of God's creation. I had to talk about it. I had to, find, when I found God so alive in these experiences, I wanted to share that with others, to share my joy, to share my gratitude, especially with my students. And so I knew I wanted to teach at a Catholic school. At the end of the five weeks, the yellow bus showed back up to take us back to Milwaukee. And when we arrived at 7th and Washington, the same crowd of family members were there, right? This time they were holding balloons, holding signs, cheering, just celebrating our return. And there was no greater joy than to witness the embraces of the children with their, in their parents' arms. And this is how I envision Christ welcoming all of us into heaven. Arms wide open, hearts filled with pure joy. St. Ignatius wrote that all the things in this world are gifts of God, created for us to the, be the means by which we can come to know God better, love God more surely, and serve God more faithfully. For me to stay in love, it meant living out a life of service, especially working with children, and specifically as a Catholic educator. And this has adapted over time for me, right? For the past 20 years, I've been a teacher, a camp director, a principal, and now here at BC with our Roach Center for Catholic Education, where we support, support educators from the region and all over the country. In these 20 years, I've changed. I'm not the same person that I was that I, when I stepped off that bus. And my relationship with God has also changed. It's grown, it's adapted. So staying in love requires adaptability. The beauty of this life is that everyone has their own journey. Everybody has their own journey, right? But we all have the same God that is constantly seeking us, that is constantly loving us. And the good, this goodness is all around us. Sometimes we'll find God through the words of our mother, right? Whatever you do, do in service to others. Be attentive to those words, right, that stir in your heart. Or God may come to you through the invitation from a stranger. I have the perfect job for you, right? By being vulnerable, you may find complete strangers opening doors for you. Or maybe the wisdom of God is revealed in community, right? Even a group of the youngest among us. Finally, with an openness to change, right? With an openness to being adaptable, I have no doubt that you will find God at work in your life in so many ways. So many different points in your life and in ways that will fill your heart with joy and gratitude. So, for when you find God, when you fall in love and stay in love, it changes everything. Thank you. <laughs>